Hello, and welcome to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Isla Garcia, Master's Degree of Nutrition Science and Registered Dietitian, and I'm going to make weight loss realistic, sustainable, and uncomplicated for your busy lifestyle. On this podcast, me and my team of registered dietitians will decipher the latest nutrition research, dissect fad diets, and discuss social media trends for you so you can feel confident knowing what to eat to achieve your health goals. Research suggests that most weight loss programs aren't successful, but my experience has taught me that this is not because the participants aren't committed. It's because those diets are designed by non-nutrition professionals and center around severe restrictions. We are here to provide the facts about the science of weight loss so you can have the success you want and continue living your best life. Hey there, today's episode is a little random, but I thought it kind of went along with our stress theme for the month because I feel like this is a huge stressor for one population specifically. Today we're tackling breastfeeding. I get so many questions about this from people in my actual life, and we do often work with clients who plan on getting pregnant soon. So I wanted to bring on an expert dietitian to give us an overview about lactation. And that expert is yet another dietitian friend from grad school that I also worked with in a hospital, and I believe at the same time that I worked with last week's guest. Kirsten before starting the Millennial Nutritionist, and today it's Kara Mowry. Kara is a registered dietitian and international board-certified lactation consultant, or IBCLC, we'll probably say throughout the episode. As a dietitian, she's worked in different levels of care from inpatient to outpatient, primarily in eating disorder treatment. She currently works for a group practice of outpatient dietitians and sees clients for both nutrition and lactation support. Kara is a wealth of knowledge on this topic because the certification to become a lactation consultant Sultan is super rigorous on top of being a registered dietitian in that she had to go through extra formal training and examination. This isn't just something she like learned as she went along through other clients or even just from her own experience. In today's episode, Kara and I first review this supplement that I've been seeing a lot on various influencers account. I think it's called Armra and it's colostrum for adults. And then we go on to talk about what weight loss can look like while breastfeeding, how to increase milk production and where to get extra support if you're struggling and what to do to reduce stress while breastfeeding since it's stress month. Side note that we've uploaded a PDF guide on how to reduce stress while cooking over on Millennial Living, so make sure to use the link in the show notes or description box on YouTube to sign up. Your first two weeks are free. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kara. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Isla. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Well, I'm excited to get through our topics today, but I always ask the question, What new foods or wellness habits are you doing recently? Just because I feel like people get tired of hearing what I'm doing all the time. So I always try to get some inspiration from other people too. So what's kind of new wellness see in your life? Since I've been working from home, a big thing that I've been trying to do, I know this is really simple, but just trying to get out for a walk most days. I just think as I'm sitting on sitting at my desk, staring at my screen, I I see humans, but it's not the same as seeing humans out in public. So if I'm going through a walk, going for a walk through my neighborhood, I get to see the neighbors, get out for some fresh air. I think it's really been good for our mental health of just making this adjustment to a telehealth working from home job versus in person. So sounds really simple, but it's been great for me. Good. Do you, um, do you like have to do it before work? Do you take like multiple breaks? What is your routine? I try to just go whenever I can. Some of my days start a little bit earlier. Some of my days end a little later. Some of the times I have just a gap in the day between clients where I'm just trying to get out to grab fresh air whenever I can. And we got a puppy recently too. So that throws a little bit of a 
um, a wrench in the mix of trying to figure out how to do it and when to go. But that is also helpful for keeping me on track because I'm like, he needs to train. He needs to get used to going for walks and being outside. So just trying to make it work whenever it works for both of us. Oh, is he going to be friends with Walter? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's met Walter already, (laughs) (laughs) which is great. I think he was, he was one of the first dogs that he met since we, we got him and they love each other. We just hit, and our puppy is Winston. So like Walter and Winston, we just joke, just like really cute little like puppy cousin name. Yeah. And Winston's like another location in North Carolina. I mean, I guess exactly. Walter isn't really, but yeah. it's kind of inspired by. Yeah. 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 Sir Walter Raleigh. Yeah. Um, well, our kind of like pop culture segment, I'm kind of transitioning this. We used to stick to just pop culture stuff, but I'm starting to um, try to transition in just like products that I see out in the world. And there's this influencer I follow that um, she's just like a clothing and kind of lifestyle influencer. And I watch all of her YouTube videos. And then she randomly did this sponsored post um, about this interesting supplement that I thought was really re- relevant to, for today. And I think it's called Armra, Amra, Armra, I think. Um, and it's colostrum supplements for adults. So when I saw it, I was like, what the world in that like uh, coming, like, isn't that like in the breastfeeding world? Like, how is this now being marketed? And what were your initial thoughts? Like knowing this is out there being marketed and exists for adults. I just have to laugh when I see this. I mean, I think it says a lot about the supplement industry that like they can take literally anything that someone might normally just be repulsed by if they knew what it was. Right. Repackage it, market it, make it look really good. And undoubtedly it can earn them a profit. So it's like, I have to give them kudos to the marketing effort. So I'll, I'm glad to share more of my thoughts on it, but that's just when I first read it, like, wow, they'll, they'll just sell anything that they can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. And I was trying to like, I mean, I always try to be like open-minded, right. Cause I'm like, maybe it is new. Like I'm not in school anymore. I don't know. Maybe, you know, to keep up on recommendations. So I was trying to look in what they were really saying the reason for the supplement is, and it seems like to me, it looked like the big push was for, immunity. Um, do you feel like that is true? Like, I wonder if it's like stable in a powder form, like, are they just taking this information from what babies need? What did you think about that point? Sure. Yeah, those are good questions. And for context, I guess, just so everyone's aware of like what colostrum is, if you see that, what exactly that means, I know you, you know, you had kind of the thought like, well, this is related to breastfeeding in some way, maybe. Um, so when you hear the word colostrum, really thinking about what that first milk is that's produced by the mother, whether that be a human mother or any other mammal that's um, obviously producing milk. So the concentration of nutrients is a little bit different for that colostrum in those early days versus what it transitions to gradually over time to kind of a more abundant milk supply after those first few days. What was really, I think, more interesting for this topic and this particular product is that colostrum is going to have a higher concentration of immune factors than the more mature milk. So like you said, that's kind of where that idea of like, it has some kind of immune protection that it's offering as a supplement, perhaps that's the thought of where it's coming from. For a baby specifically, it's coating the baby's gut to help protect it from pathogens um, and to promote immunity in that regard. So I'm no expert in bovine lactation by any means, but thinking about this product from my understanding, I, I would I think it stands to reason that it's probably going to have a similar quality, I suppose, to a, to human colostrum in that it's going to have a higher concentration of immune cells and that being the goal behind the product, I suppose, just immunity. Do you feel like with what you saw briefly, would you be recommending this or do you feel like you not, not know, or what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to dig into this when I, I saw the same thing and so just kind of reading their website and kind of the claims that they've made, you know, they say something about like in clinical trials, it 
was found to be three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu. And it triggered rapid antibacterial immune defense in under two hours and 32% better than other yeah, colostrum products. Sounds great. So like, wow, like, yeah, I mean, sounds great. That would be cool if that was all true. And I, I'm not the one to say if it's true or not, but I'm like, let me at least look and see what's there. I mean, you see all those numbers and I think that can be misconstrued to seem a lot more significant than it might actually be. It looks like for that claim about the effectiveness compared to the flu vaccine, they're comparing different groups, comparing if the participants receive the flu vaccine, if they receive the colostrum supplement, or if they receive both. Mm. It looked like there was kind of an outlier in the group that receive the vaccine only without the colostrum, that's going to make that difference look a little bit more significant. So if you have that outlier in the data where one is maybe going to have even stronger, perhaps, or even longer duration of um, sickness from the flu, then it's going to make it look like the benefits of colostrum are even stronger compared Mm -hmm. to it, especially with the sample size being relatively low. Um, It was also an observational study versus an actual clinical trial. So they were just more so seeing what happened um, from data that they had already versus conducting an actual experiment with it. Mm -hmm. So that also means their self-reported data is going to be less reliable you look at the claim too about the immune defense in under two hours, and I'm like, what does that actually mean? This isn't even published research that they're referencing here, so it hasn't really gone through the rigor of the review process of validating every step of the um, of the study to see what exact what exactly the researchers did. They talk about that two hour claim, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm not an expert on this topic when it comes to just the cellular research, but is two hours really significant when it comes to an immune response? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that looks in practice. The 32% um, better than other colostrum products, that part of it, I don't really know what better means. That was referencing some kind of increase in reactive oxygen species in the cells that were treated with this colostrum product versus others. But again, I don't know if that's actually significant or means anything. That's my my take on it. So it's with that, I think it's hard to say, like, should an adult be supplementing with mm-hmm. this again, with any kind of supplement, I think you have to balance the risk with the potential benefits. And I think the economic risk is going to be a big one for some people. So if there's not much benefit to be gained from it, does the person actually feel like it's worth spending the money on it? I am a lactation consultant. So I think colostrum is incredible. Right. But again, we're thinking about in the context of colostrum being used for babies and how it's produced, they right. have really immature GI tracts, immature immune defense that mm-hmm. the colostrum is helping to kind of, again, coat the baby's gut to help protect them from those pathogens. So if that's true for babies, is that true for adults who have more mature immune mm-hmm. systems? Just the questions that I have that come up that ultimately make me think probably not worth your money if you're going to see something like this, but if you want to try it, it's probably not going to hurt. Yeah, I feel like that's what we all end up seeing. Exactly. The boring dietitian response to any supplement. But (laughs) do I feel like sometimes, like you're saying, um, like I never want people to feel like they have to buy this if they're like, oh my gosh, I need immunity because then it's expensive. And so I think it's good to always like kind of bring it back to like, are there just more practical things you think we can do to get the same uh, intended result, like improving our immune system? So, like, what do you think somebody maybe could do if they want? They're like, oh, I want immunity, but is there something more realistic you think they can do? Perhaps also a boring dietitian response, but I think about just a lot of the mainstay pillars of health when it comes to hydration, sleep, mm-hmm. regular physical activity, limiting alcohol intake, nutrition, nutrition, you know, that being the, the cornerstone, I think, of our work as dietitians, but 
really, when you're thinking about that, there's not going to be, be a kind of superfood or magic fix for immunity with that, just generally aiming for foods that are rich in nutrients like zinc, vitamin C, vitamin B6, iron, um, things like that. I think um, in particular, maybe even your work or any dietitian could just be coaching people through incorporating more of those into their diet. But again, not a magical fix by any means, but those are going to be the most important things. So just all the things that we're generally doing to take care of ourselves would also apply to our immune system. I totally agree. I know that you and I both worked in the hospital, like when all the COVID stuff was kind of just happening. Um, and I just remember from that, like it always seemed like people who they always said people who were more likely to get COVID were people that only had pre-existing conditions. I think which just kind of goes back to like taking care of yourself, doing those basics, low stress, mm-hmm. trying to uh, eat fruits and vegetables, fiber, all the things you're saying. So, all that to say, I agree. Um, all right. So into the bulk of our interview, I'm really excited, but I want to start out with just like the most obvious question that I get all the time for what I do, which is how does breastfeeding impact the mother's health slash weight? Because this is at least what I see are moms coming back to me saying, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm breastfeeding, but now I'm eating too little. I'm not producing milk. So can you just kind of like open the floor with like, how does it, if you know it all impact the mother's health and weight? All kinds of benefits of breastfeeding, certainly for the mom, whenever it comes to um, health benefits. So one that I'm thinking of really even shortly after birth being that breastfeeding is going to help the mother's uterus contract back down to its normal pre-pregnancy size, which sounds like a weird thing to say. Like, why is that helpful? Yeah. Um, that ultimately helping to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. They're not losing too much blood after the delivery. Um, so it's really helpful there. We're thinking about more of the long-term benefits in terms of chronic diseases it's going to help lower a mom's risk potentially of different kinds of cancer. So what we see the most um, evidence for there is that breastfeeding is going to help lower the risk of ovarian cancer, breast cancer specifically, mm. type, two diabetes, type 2 diabetes, maybe not as strong of evidence to support, but there is um, evidence there to say that it could reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes in the future. So if a woman has a family history of any of those conditions, I think that would make that a particular draw for them. Also, in thinking about mental health, I think when we're thinking about the postpartum period, we have to talk about mental health too. Um, data also supports the, um, the evidence that breastfeeding is also going to help improve mental health. So lower rates of anxiety, depression, which if you talk to a breastfeeding mom, maybe they would say otherwise because yeah. is, it's definitely stressful, which we're going to get to talking about that. Um, but again, if you're looking at it in terms of the literature, that's part of what it supports in terms of benefits. Um, could also help with slowing down the time for your period to come back. There's certain criteria um, in terms of breastfeeding that you need to be breastfeeding exclusively, meaning like primarily providing breast milk to your baby for its sole source of nutrition. Baby's younger than six months, your period hasn't returned. That can also help um, with delayed fertility, which some moms are hoping for because they may not want to get pregnant that soon after they had their first. Um, So there's benefit there. Thinking about weight loss, I mean, that is, I think this really common benefit of breastfeeding that I hear people talk about is, is weight loss. And I think it's generally accepted and maybe stands to reason, maybe not so much when we look at the literature, but mm. um, breastfeeding moms tend to lose weight faster, return to their pre-pregnancy weights faster than moms who don't breastfeed. That is the the thought that's out there. Mm-hmm. And I think even as maybe dietitians, that's what we learn a lot of too. Yeah. And it's, I think for me, taking more, knowing that this is a population I work with, digging into a little bit more to understand like, well, is this actually true? I think the research suggests that there's maybe that association between breastfeeding and weight loss, but I'd argue that some of it maybe isn't necessarily conclusive or that high of quality. And even then, on an individual basis, that doesn't mean you're actually necessarily going to lose weight or is it going to be effective in the long term? Everyone's body, everyone's body's different, is going to respond differently. 
I mean, I personally don't think that weight loss should necessarily be necessarily be advertised as a reason to breastfeed because more of my concern would be the message could make breastfeeding moms who don't lose the weight after they have the baby and they start breastfeeding. They have this baby weight. Like I thought I was going to lose all this baby weight because I breastfeed. They might feel like they fail or might they feel right. like their body failed them. Um, so that's, that's a big concern on my mind when I'm thinking about it. And I don't want them to think, okay, I'm going to naturally lose weight. So I don't need to do anything to actively try and lose weight. They find out that they don't naturally lose weight. It doesn't naturally fall off quote unquote. And then they resort to maybe more restrictive practices that could leave them at risk for physical and mental health concerns. Um, so again, thinking about it holistically, Perhaps there's a benefit there, but I'd also want the mom to be thinking about just taking care of themselves as a whole after the delivery, because they just went through a very trying process on their body, going through pregnancy and delivery, now breastfeeding that um, perhaps that's a goal that they could kind of talk through and work through more, but not necessarily a goal that I would advertise. That's just my personal philosophy around it. Gotcha. No, that makes sense because I, yeah, I do feel like in school, I don't know if we were taught it or if it just is, I remember that like 500 calorie number. So it's like, oh, if they're burning more calories, it seems like they would. But the more people I talk to that like work in WIC or people like you, they're like, no, actually it just, it seems so random. Like some people gain weight, some people maintain, some people lose. So I'm like, oh, so what did we even know then? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to say. I mean, even with predicting how many calories somebody needs in a day, like that's already so difficult as it is with their predictive equations we have. That's still only that it doesn't necessarily take into account all the individual factors. And I think that that 500 calorie a day number kind of comes from that too. And some research really demonstrates it could be up to like 600, 800 calories per day that some women could need to support breastfeeding and just to make sure that the mom is adequately nourished. So um, it's hard to put an exact number on it. And so they could end up shortchanging themselves on the energy that their body needs if they are kind of counting and go by the 500 calorie number. It's it's really hard to estimate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what about now for the baby? How does breastfeeding, I feel like this is probably, you can go on and on about this, but maybe okay. give us some highlights about how does breastfeeding impact the baby's health? Yeah, absolutely. I could go on and on. So I'll yeah. try to keep it short. Um, <laughs> nutrition, of course, that's probably what a lot of people think of when they think about breast milk for the baby. Um, kind of like we were talking about the colostrum, even the more mature milk beyond colostrum is going to have all kinds of immune factors, antibodies. There's this really cool compound called Hamlet, which has this anti-tumor activity. So when this is studied in cells, we see that when this compound called Hamlet is in the presence of um, cancer cells, it actually the more really the cancer cells kill themselves in the presence of the Hamlet wow. compound, right? So of course it's a cell at the cellular level level. So I'm seeing more research into the effect that that could potentially have in terms of um, cancer treatment. But again, super interesting um, hormones, growth factors. I'm thinking about hormones like melatonin, so helping the baby sleep, enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, all these things that are in it. So with all of that, that's helping to prevent more of like acute um, conditions like ear infections, GI infections, but could also prevent longer term chronic diseases like diabetes, even um, leukemia. So those are some of the main things I'm thinking about when it comes to health benefits. Bonding is also a big part of it for the baby, um, more so from the kind of the process of breastfeeding versus just the the breast milk itself, but that potentially helping um, in terms of social behavioral problems down the road by having that good um, attachment to the mom. And then how does all this compare to feeding with formula or is it like pretty similar? So breast milk is really this living and active substance that's going to adapt to the baby's needs. So it's really providing so much for the nutrition. So if you think about it, you know, you, you buy formula, 
it's going to have these minimum FDA requirements of what it needs to have in terms of, you know, vitamins, minerals, carbohydrates, protein, fat, et cetera. So that's going to be enough to make sure the baby is growing and gets what they need. Certainly the benefit of breast milk being that, well, one, that it has so much more than just the nutrition itself, all those things that I mentioned of immunity, hormones, growth factors, enzymes to help with digestion, all these different things. But really, whenever we see a baby is breastfeeding, it's communicating to the mother what it needs in terms of nutrition and immune support. So there's literally this communication that's happening between the baby's saliva at the breast, sending a signal to the mom's body of what it needs in terms of both nutrition and immune support. So the mom's body is going to adapt the milk to meet the needs based on that communication that's happening during breastfeeding. So say the baby is at daycare, is exposed to some kind of germ there, it's going to send a signal to the mom that it needs immune protection from that while it's breastfeeding to help prevent it from getting sick. It's Again, doesn't mean it's going to be foolproof. I mean, the baby's never going to get sick, um, but just helping to provide that tailored immune support as well as adjusting nutrients as the baby's getting older and growing to make sure that the baby's getting the exact nutrition that it needs. That is crazy. I guess I never knew that. And it's just amazing how the body can do that for like another body. It's incredible. I mean, this is what really drew me into the field of lactation, just the the biology around it, the physiology. It's it's super interesting. So I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us about the top nutrition recommendations for the mama breastfeeding? Because sometimes I like talk about this with people and it seems like there's some like crazy things out there. So I just wanted you to give it to us straight. Like what are the top nutrition things that we should be doing if you are trying to breastfeed? It's a lot simpler, thankfully, than I think a lot of things that we read on the internet. That doesn't mean it's easy, but a lot simpler. So I'll say really, when I think about the goal of nutrition for breastfeeding, it should be one to make sure the mom is meeting her nutrient energy needs, of course, but also supporting uh, sufficient milk production for her. So Generally, for both of those things, that's going to look like she needs to get enough calories and um, fluids from her from her diet. So not necessarily special foods that she needs to incorporate, but generally focused on having a balanced diet with a variety of different foods and eating super regularly. I know I mentioned the 500 calorie number and how maybe that's not as as established as we think it is in terms of a kind of goal to be aiming for. Um, So because it's so hard to quantify exactly how much she needs, it's just going to be really important that she's mindful of her hunger cues and paying attention Mm -hmm. to those so that she can continue to nourish herself through the day. What that could look like practically, I think could be generally aiming to eat about every two to three hours. I'd say for, for most people, if they're not breastfeeding, like the three to four hour mark could be maybe more of a sweet spot, but with breastfeeding needing to naturally eat more just total energy through your diet because it's an energy intensive process to be able to produce milk for your baby eating every two to three hours or so is going to help with that so that could like look like the mom setting reminders on her phone to make sure that she remembers to eat at those times just generally following her hunger which is probably going to tell her a lot of breastfeeding moms will say I'm just hungry all the time and that's how it's supposed to be that's what's supposed to happen so that your body is telling you to make sure that you're meeting the demands of it It might look like keeping kind of like those quicker snacks on hand, especially if you're, you know, if you're in those early days where you're at home breastfeeding, you have your favorite spots where you're going to nurse, you could just keep some shelf stable snacks in a little basket next to it, along with like a water bottle, you keep protein bars, trail mix, dried fruit, again, nothing special in terms of food, just making sure that you're having enough. Again, same ideas with balance for any other individual, even outside of lactation, incorporating protein, complex carbohydrates, unsaturated fats, things like that. If you're having a snack, pairing the car with a protein or fat could be helpful to make sure that, again, you're kind of covering all those bases in terms of macronutrients that you need and 
I'm just trying to keep it simple because I think there's, again, what you might read, there's this idea there's all these like really special kind of superfoods that you should include if you're breastfeeding. There's not really great research to support that those foods are going to make that much of a difference in terms of increasing milk production. These kind of lactogenic foods, we might say, are galactagogues, but anecdotally, some moms say that they feel like they help with increasing production. So if you see recommendation for like, oh, eating oats or lactation cookies or yeah. eating more flaxseed, legumes, like leafy green vegetables, all those things are going to be just generally beneficial for your health anyway. So it doesn't hurt to incorporate them more. And, and maybe if the individual mom finds that it helps with her milk supply, then that's great. But either way, they're just great things to incorporate just for her own nutrition. Okay. But it sounds like baseline, you're saying making sure you're eating more regardless is what's most helpful. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. That's the 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 good shortened version of my long-winded response there, no. just making sure that you're eating enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. And kind of on that, uh, is there anything like specifically moms can do to increase milk production, whether it's nutrition or anything? When I'm thinking about milk production, I like to say you you have to breastfeed to breastfeed. Like mm. I think sometimes there's the hope that like, okay, like I my baby's here, I'm super tired. I really don't want to breast, like I really, I want to breastfeed, but also like I, I want to take a break. And I totally validated all that. It's super important. We need a well-rested mom to be able to breastfeed. Um, but generally thinking about this concept of supply and demand, breast milk production is going to be driven by that supply and demand process. So if you're not breastfeeding or expressing your milk, which just means hand expression or pumping frequently enough, then your body's going to get the message and think that it can just make less milk. Mm. Tying back into nutrition, it's a really energy intensive process. So why would the body want to spend more energy on making milk for things it doesn't have to? So if you're going a longer time between feedings or if baby's getting a bottle, for example, if you're not somehow replacing that feeding with pumping, then the body's going to think, oh, okay, like I don't want to waste the energy on this. I'm just going to start to make less. So one of my favorite analogies when I'm thinking about this is this sort of concept of if you're going to a restaurant, right, you go to a sit down restaurant, you order a water. If you're like taking a sip on your, taking sips of your water, drinking your water through the meal, the waiter's probably going to come and keep refilling your drink. You're going to keep having more. If you're not really touching it, it's just kind of sitting there. The waiter's not going to come and refill your drink. So I think of lactation as kind of like that. Your body's kind of like the, the waiter who's going to continue to increase the production, continue to fill your cup in response to more frequent breastfeeding or pumping sessions. So supply and demand is kind of the mainstay that I like for people to know about. Of course, beyond that, like there are ways that moms can increase their milk production. I think about it less in ter- the terms in terms of nutrition and maybe more so just specific intervention that a lactation consultant can help with when it comes to the process of breastfeeding specifically or pumping, um, hands-on pumping. For example, if a mom was doing like gentle breast massage while they're pumping, that can help to increase output output as it helps to kind of stimulate all those milk ducts that are in the breast to compress and help release the milk. So lots of things that an IBCLC or an international board certified lactation consultant could help with. Certainly she's looking for support in that way. But again, the main thing just being you need to continue to meet the supply by creating the demand for it by breastfeeding frequently or nursing or breastfeeding frequently or pumping. Got it. Okay. And then on the opposite, does any, uh, why does breast, why does milk production decrease? Cause it seems, I mean, again, I've never had a baby. I've never breastfed. I don't know. But sometimes when I talk to friends, it seems like they are having a hard time getting the production started. And so then they don't want to do it is like, why does that happen? It really goes back to the supply and demand system I mentioned. And so I think what's particularly hard for us kind of in the time and place that we live in, especially in in the U.S. in the year 2023, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of advice out there for all kinds of things related to parenting, right? And so when it comes to breastfeeding, breastfeeding specifically, 
and infant sleep, for example, like I think the hope is kind of to get the baby on some kind of schedule with feeding and saying like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to feed you at these exact times through the day. And I'm only going to feed like maybe once overnight, for example. Um, So scheduling feedings, I think is one common thing that can lead to decreased milk production, because again, it's not meeting the demand for baby, right? Like, so if the body is thinking, oh, I can go more time between breastfeeding and and this does get easier over time, you know, it's especially in the early days where a newborn is going to need to to nurse more to help bring in that uh, abundant milk supply. But babies aren't robots, right? Like babies are like us and that like their hunger is going to look different across the day and across even the week. Some days we're less hungry than other days. And even within a day, like, you know, we may not always want to eat at the exact same time. And so babies are going to be similar. So really my advice ends up being making sure that you're able to recognize what those hunger cues are from your baby so that you can respond appropriately to keep uh, milk production from decreasing. It's this general rule of thumb that they say of every two to three hours, which comes out to about eight to 12 times over the course of a 24 hour period, including at night to help meet their demands and meet mom's milk production. So the kind of saying that lactation consultants uh, share is to watch the baby and not the clock. So ultimately just being really responsive to what your baby is telling you that it needs and then feeding them appropriately to make sure that that's also, you know, not only helping with nutrition for your baby and making sure they're getting what they need, but to make sure that your body's keeping up with the demand. And again, this, this does get easier as, as time goes on, it gets to less, um, you can go to less frequent feedings over time, but especially early on bringing in that abundant milk supply to be sustained through lactation. The supply demand process is really important. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Another kind of question on this is like any tips in general for scheduling. This kind of comes from whenever I common complaint I hear is when moms go back to work, then it starts, seems it starts to unravel, which would make sense if you're not able, I guess, to be with your baby and like hear those cues. Is that right? Like, I guess any tips for working moms who are trying to still breastfeed there? It would depend on what they're hoping to kind of get out of their breastfeeding relationship whenever they go back to work, because going back to work is a totally valid barrier towards breastfeeding pumping. Like I I get like, that's a lot that you're dealing with. And so it may, it may be that you want to talk a little bit different whenever you go back to work. Mm. Um, so my main advice is just to kind of think about what you want it to look like. If you're kind of thinking like, I really enjoy like just being with my baby and I enjoy them bonding. I enjoy being with my baby and breastfeeding. Maybe it looks like taking some time at the beginning of the day before you leave for work and after you get back from work to kind of focus more of the um, nursing sessions then would still probably require the pumping during the day to keep up with the demand that you need. But um, doing that could also help reduce the amount of time that you're pumping if you prefer more of the nursing over the pumping sessions. Some moms go back to work and they just prefer to mainly focus on more exclusive pumping over um, directly breastfeeding. So for them, if it feels easier with working out with their schedule that they're mainly just pumping even when they're at home, then just structuring their day so that they can do that. Um, again, making sure they're meeting kind of the, the demands for what baby would normally be eating. Cause again, baby doesn't, the mom's body rather doesn't know when baby's at home with another caregiver getting a bottle. So if you do want to keep up with the demand, it's still continuing to pump. But again, you can kind of structure pumping nursing to look different depending on what exactly you're looking to get out of it. Um, again, the hands-on pumping thing that I mentioned is one thing, like if you have a hands-free pumping bra, that'll be your best friend. So that's going to help also increase just efficiency with pumping. So you get a little bit more out whenever you're, um, pumping. So that saves a little bit of time there as well. So you can get more out. Um, and your baby also just may want to be close to you whenever you get home from, from home, from work, if you're going back, especially if you're going in person. So 
if you're kind of thinking like I'm wanting to do more pumping versus more nursing sessions, your baby's still maybe a little bit clingy. You want to be with you. So it might just be like, can I wear my baby and still keep my baby close when I'm at home? If I'm wanting to focus more on like the pumping versus Mm. nursing at that point. So I know that's like lots of different kind of random things to think about, but again, I think it's just super tailored to the mom and what um, she wants it to look like when she goes back to work. I know. I feel like it seems when I talk to most people who are breastfeeding, they all are very frustrated. (laughs) Is this normal? Um, What do you do? Like, should you just try to power through it or stop? Like, when do you know when that's the right decision? What about those questions? Really important questions to ask and something that's, again, going to be so individualized. I can't ever make the decision for anyone by any means. Um, And I think a lot of the frustration just comes from them not having perhaps like the prenatal breastfeeding education. Mm. Um, I I don't think it's the fault of the mom by any means, but maybe not something that's offered as readily, or maybe they don't know that it's available. Um, I think the frustration can certainly be alleviated by having the education in advance to know like, okay, I know that like, if my baby is cluster feeding, just constantly wanting to eat on the second day after delivery, that this is normal. And maybe it's, it doesn't mean to say it's not going to be frustrating. Like you can be as prepared as possible and it's still going to be difficult, but at least like you can know this is what's supposed to be happening. And I can, utilize techniques that maybe I've learned from either talking to lactation consultant or from a prenatal class is going to help me know how to manage this a little bit more easily. Um, but I'd say it's ultimately just that personal decision. Only really the mom can decide for herself and her baby what's best for her. So my philosophy really as a lactation consultant <clears throat> is that the mom is going to have all the support and education that she needs to know all the benefits of breastfeeding so that she can make an informed decision and have hopefully all the support that she can get so that she can meet her goals when it comes to breastfeeding. But there are all those barriers that are out there that it's certainly never fault a mom for. If she felt like this is just too much, I can't keep going on. So as long as she feels able to get the support and education she needs to make the decision that works best for her, then she should certainly celebrate any amount of breastfeeding that she did. And if she just thinks it's the right thing for her and her baby, then she should be supported to do what she thinks is best. Good. Okay. And then um, on that too, like where do people get support from? I feel like I was thinking this question because most of the people I talk to that know a lot um, are WIC people are like their instructors at WIC, but then it's like, what do people do if they don't qualify for WIC? How do they get that support? Because I don't really hear a lot in that space. Like the people who don't qualify for WIC make more money, but then do they just don't get education? Where does that go? Definitely a big concern. I think just having access to breastfeeding resources is a challenge and just knowing what's out there. Because Oftentimes there's support out there and sometimes there isn't. And so that's, I think, just more work that needs to be done in terms of healthcare and lactation consultants to be able to expand that support. But some of the things that might already be out there that a mom could look to in terms of breastfeeding support might be, well, one, the prenatal breastfeeding education class I mentioned, she could look into for the hospital or birth center, wherever she's delivering to see if there's a class that she could start with. And sometimes if you find someone teaching that class, it could be a lactation consultant that works there or someone maybe that's in private practice. So that could already be kind of a plug in for a resource for someone to go to after the delivery. Also, just in those early days that she's in the hospital, hopefully there's a lactation consultant that's there that can help her just in those early days while she's still in the hospital. Now, I think the question really goes beyond that, right? Beyond hospital discharge, what's she going to yeah. do when those questions and concerns come up? So there's some pediatrician offices, some um, OB offices that are going to have an IBCLC or Uh, board certified lactation consultant on staff. So if she's looking to make a decision for where she goes for care for either of those things for both herself or her baby, she could look for an office that has a lactation consultant on staff so that she can have access to someone a little bit more readily than perhaps this other option, which might be to find a lactation consultant who's in private practice that can come and do a home visit to your home or perhaps has a little clinic location that's out there too. 
barriers to that, certainly in terms of insurance and such, but usually you can find someone out there in more populated areas. I know more rural areas are not, may not be as many options in terms of lactation support, um, but there's more and more they're offering telehealth support, which is helpful. Uh, last thing to think about there would be support groups. So some hospitals and other kind of community-based organizations may have support groups that are led by a lactation consultant. So it may not be like individual, you get your own appointment kind of support, but you could go get support from lactation consultant and hear from other moms who are maybe going through similar things to get help and support. La Leche League is kind of the pioneer and peer support groups that moms could look into to see what's maybe in her area to find support. And then lastly, I'd say, depending on where she lives, there's different breastfeeding coalitions in different states that are oftentimes um, going to list different resources on their website for where parents can go if they're looking for breastfeeding support, whether that be pediatric offices that have lactation consultants on staff or looking for support groups or maybe just other providers that are supportive of breastfeeding or might help with something that's kind of breastfeeding adjacent. For example, if a baby has a tongue tie that needs to be revised, that's a whole other discussion, but they might list different ENTs, dentists, other providers that can provide support. So that can be a good kind of hub to look for more options for support. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like um, it comes a lot of time from the recommendation from the doctor, right? Because like how would a regular consumer know about it? Mostly it would be like that. Yeah. I think therein lies the challenge certainly is a lot of families who have a baby that's breastfeeding may just not know what's out there. And Mm so I think that really puts the onus on healthcare provider to be able to send the referrals that family needs to be able to provide the support they need. If they don't have a lactation consultant in the office, for example, can they at least have a list of resources to send parents to? And that could be something else that they could do is ask their pediatrician's office if they have any lactation consultants that they refer to so at least can know what's there. Um, But I think a big part of the messaging comes back to, again, myself as a lactation consultant included, just other lactation consultants, healthcare providers, you need to put the word out there Mm -hmm. of there is support out there when you're looking for it. It's just you need to help moms get connected with it. So I'm glad you asked the question. And then as a lactation consultant, do what do you do for the mom? Or is it mostly you're just there for the baby? Because that's one thing I have heard before. I, I recommended before somebody, I'm like, you should check out lactation. And they're like, they're like, well, they're not going to help me. They're just going to help the baby. So is that true or not? <laughs> I, I can see that being a stereotype that might come up. And I think that's that speaks to just this whole model of postpartum care where really it's, it's less about postpartum and more about just the baby, which is right. important. The baby does need to be taken care of, but I think moms oftentimes feel like they get, they fall through the cracks of, you know, they have these appointments they're constantly going to for their baby postpartum, but for themselves, what they have maybe like that six week appointment and that's it. Mm. Um, so in terms of lactation care, we're thinking about the diet. We're thinking about both the mom and the baby together. Both are an important part of the equation. And even with that, I think lactation consultants are at least the ones that I've interacted with are typically good with checking on the mom and how she's feeling because that's a really important aspect is just mentally where she's at and making sure that she's getting what she needs. So from a more clinical perspective, we are thinking about both any potential challenges might be coming up, coming up on the mom's end as well as the baby's end. For the mom, if it's something like engorgement or mastitis, plug ducts, Anything in the context of these clinical issues that are going on for the mom, we want to make sure that we're addressing in a lactation consultant with in a lactation consult rather within the scope of what a lactation consultant can do. It's certainly not making a medical diagnosis of any of those things, but what does that look like in terms of managing breastfeeding as a result? For babies, it could be things like tethered oral tethered oral tissue or tongue tie. It could be jaundice. It could be difficulty with um, gaining weight. All the clinical things that come up with both, as well as 
helping a mom with the feeding. That's typically a big part of it is assessing both the mom and the baby, but then seeing what things look like all together with the mom is pumping or if she's breastfeeding lactation consultant being able to help with that. So any lactation consultant who is fully looking at the whole scope of the diet is going to be looking at the mom too. But I, I think it's even sad that that has to even be a question that a, a mom might be worried that she wouldn't get the support that she needed to. Okay. I had one audience question to kind of like wrap it all up too. Um, so back to kind of the beginning question, um, this audience member is trying to, I guess, lose baby weight while, okay, I'll just read her question is trying mm-hmm. to lose baby, baby weight while breastfeeding a realistic goal with the calorie recommendations needed for milk production. What do you think about that? Is it the same thing you said at the beginning? Like what would be your response to somebody who asks you that? I think it does come back to some of the things that we've mentioned in terms of, um, the energy intensive kind of process that lactation is, and that is going to make it harder for, for someone to lose weight. And again, those calorie recommendations that we often see may even be underestimating what a mom needs. So mm-hmm. thinking about all of that, like, I think it's important to remember what's the, what's ultimately the the purpose of these things. Like why are the energy demands so high for lactation, even during pregnancy, right? Then there's nutrient stores that are be, being built up during pregnancy to help ensure um, the mom's body is going to have the energy and nutrients that she needs for breast milk production. And so with that, if we're thinking about this from a hormonal perspective, even there's prolactin, which is really this primary milk making hormone that may reduce fat metabolism, which is how the breastfeeding mom, mom breastfeeding mom's body is designed because it's going to need this higher fat stores to protect both the breast milk supply and making sure the mom is getting the energy and nutrition that she needs. So ultimately that's a good thing. We're thinking about breastfeeding. It's doing what your body's functioning, how it's supposed to. And of course that can make weight loss difficult as a result. And so from, from my perspective, I think it's learning to accept and trust our bodies the way that they're designed to support both our health and that of our bodies when it comes to both pregnancy and breastfeeding, you know, you, you might lose weight while you're breastfeeding without trying because it's so energy intensive to try and meet the demands, but intentionally trying to lose weight during breastfeeding wouldn't necessarily be recommended. Mm -hmm. Um, There could be a rate of weight loss that might be safe for the mom that wouldn't compromise milk supply, but I think that could be a hard line to find. And I also just want moms to be able to focus on taking care of themselves physically and mentally, just letting this postpartum period feel restorative of this is a different stage of life. This is a new thing potentially for me if it's my first baby and I'm learning how to take care of my newborn baby while I'm taking care of myself while I'm maybe even going back to work. Like there's all this obligation, I think, to lose the baby weight. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get lost in all of that, that this mom literally grew birth and is feeding this baby with her own body. And that's incredible. And my message would just be to be able to celebrate that, like certainly feel like you can live a lifestyle, make any adjustments that you want that's going to support your physical and mental health. You know, if there's things that she's doing that are naturally could result in weight loss outside of breastfeeding, then, you know, if she wants to work on implementing those changes and there's nothing wrong with that, but just making sure that she's appreciating her body for all the incredible work it's done. It's going to continue to do while she's going through the course of her breastfeeding journey. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. I think that, um, from what I see for people, sometimes they equate, uh, like they want to get healthy with weight loss. So is there a way that like they can still get healthy or even I think sometimes people just want to gain control of their body after they've had a baby like are there things they can do and work on that apart from weight loss while they're breastfeeding like if that's a goal they want absolutely I think it's it's totally reasonable to think like maybe I'm not going to be thinking about this 
calorically restrictive diet by any means, but if I'm wanting to make swaps for other things that are going to help fuel my body well, not just for breast eating, but beyond, if it's, you know, I want to add more fiber to my diet, I want to eat more complex carbs, I want to work on adding more fruits and vegetables or adding more unsaturated fats, diversifying more source, my sources of protein in my diet. Those are all perfectly reasonable things to be working on that are both going to be supportive of breastfeeding and maybe help her get to the goals that she wants to in terms of her health down the road too, because it's still a time that she could be working to establish those habits, even if it doesn't necessarily result in weight loss, then um, who's to say what might happen after breastfeeding. So still a time that she could work on all those things. Good. All right. Well, I think that's all such good information, but what is one thing a listener can do to reduce stress while breastfeeding? It's hard to say because it's not as simple as just doing this, right? But I think trying to let go of trying to do everything perfectly and just trying to trust your body and trust your baby. Like I know stress reduction is not as easy as just saying not to worry about right. it, but I think most moms, it's coming from a good place of when they're thinking about breastfeeding and getting stressed about it. Like they're just concerned about what's doing best for them and doing what's best for their baby. But I think if they can feel like they're in a place where they can reach out for help, that's going to be important too. Because whether or not you're breastfeeding, taking care of a newborn, it's just going to be a lot of work. So any opportunity that you can have to kind of let another family member, a friend, somebody else help you and support you so that that can help free you up to focus on hopefully the positive aspects of breastfeeding, not so much it feeling stressful, but this is something that I enjoy and I enjoy this time with my baby. If you can have the help and support from other people to free up more of your time and mental energy to just enjoy the process, then that's my advice is just to try not to do everything perfectly and just take it day by day. Good. Awesome. Well, this is all such good um, advice. And if somebody is really wanting to work with you or follow you or contact you, where can they do that? Sure. I, I work for um, a group of practice of private a group practice of dietitians called Healthier Tomorrows. Um, I do all telehealth work for them. So if they want, they can find us on our website. It's just healthiertomorrows.com. Also newly have an Instagram and Facebook page for the group. So they can certainly look at that as well. Um, but I can offer both nutrition breastfeeding support from, from that. And so if they're looking for a lactation consultant, um, I can offer telehealth telehealth support through that. Or just if anyone ever has questions, you know, Isla, you can always reach out to me if they're looking for someone local to them. I'm, I'm glad to help connect in any way that I can. Great. And we have a big Raleigh RDU audience. So definitely make sure to consider Kara. But thank you so much for joining us today, Kara. This was really, really helpful. Isla, thank you so much. This is one of my favorite topics, as you know. So it's fun to get to come and talk and share a little bit more. Thank you so much for listening to the Millennial Nutritionist podcast. For daily weight loss tips and nutrition information, you can find us on Instagram at the.millennial.nutritionist and on TikTok at millennial.nutritionist. If you find this information helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who needs encouragement on their health journey. See you in the next episode.